Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will cover, confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, who must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And Peggy, pray for us this morning, please. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you with um, all kinds of hearts. We rejoice because you are big. And we rejoice because you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And we thank you, Father, that we have a home in your heart. We thank you, Father, for those that you have placed in the midst here that we can fellowship together and with one accord look to you for all we need. For you are our sustainer, our redeemer, our constant comfort, our guide, our friend, and our Lord. We think of those who are grieving we lift up to you the Lawton family and the Kiwi family and those families who are suffering, Father, with sickness, the Grossies, the Mark Nelson family. We think of those who are troubled, Father, and we think of those who need your guiding hand to bring them back to your loving arms. Help us, Father, not to be like stubborn mules who wander but to come close to you for you're sovereign and you have everything we need. Thank you that we are righteous before you because of Jesus. You have provided everything. We love you, Lord, and we come together today to sing our praises to you and to give you all that we are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our catechism question this morning, number 23, why, why must the Redeemer be truly God? We can say this together. That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And also that he would be able to bear the righteous anger of God against sin and yet overcome death. And our short answer this morning said together. That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. And our scripture comes from Acts 2.24. Again, let's say this together. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible 
for him to be held by it. Terry, could you come and pray for us as well, please? Under ordinary circumstances, I would ask you to join hands, but because of COVID, I don't think that's a very good idea. But I would like for us to join together this morning as we pray, thinking about all of the things that would separate us, but dwelling on what unites us. Shall we pray? Father God, as we come this morning to worship you, Lord, sometimes we forget that we didn't come to get something, but to offer something, to offer our praise, to bring honor and blessing to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to celebrate Father, that we are a family, the family of God, and that together, Lord, we can do many things. We can do much good, but the best we can do is to share the love of God. The best we can do is to be sure that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are acceptable in his sight. And to not complicate our Christian walk with uh, things that we might do, but rather to dwell on the things that we can do with God's power, which is unlimited. And so... As we come to worship and lay at your feet, dear Lord, all of what we are, all of what we can do, and all that you have blessed us with. So as we worship you this morning, may we not walk away from the simplest of your commands, which is to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and most difficult of all, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So bless this service, Father. May we join together in bringing you honor and praise as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Terry. Let's continue our worship and sing together.
Morning, my morning, new mercy. 
you to stand. Yeah. 
people said, Amen. Please be seated.
No? Did it? Good. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Dan often says uh, we ought to just pray and go home. And I feel that way this morning. I want to read from you, for you, a part of what Justin read for us. Because this is how I want to pray this morning. And Charlie, I'm feeling a bit echoey. It says in verse 8 of Psalm 33, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. And the last time we were together, Dan preached, um, or the last time he preached, a couple of weeks ago, he ex explained why our Redeemer had to be fully human. And really, Hebrews 2.17 encapsulates it beautifully. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, <clears throat> so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now that word propitiation is a very hard word for me to say. And so if I didn't say it right, please forgive me. I, for whatever reason, my tongue does not want to form that word very well. But I did the best I could. But it really is a simple word, even though it's long and a word we don't use very often. It simply means that Christ took on himself the full penalty of the wrath of God against our sin. And that he paid the debt we owed. So it's two parts. He took on the wrath and he paid the debt for us. This week we're going to look at why our Redeemer must also be fully divine. And just an important theological distinction. When we say Jesus is fully human and fully God, we do not mean 50-50. We mean 100% God, 100% man. In the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. It's a hard concept for our brains to get around sometimes, but it is a very important thing that we understand. It is not a 50-50 proposition. Now, uh, as we get started, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. For those of you using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1119. <clears throat> And as you're turning there, uh, just a, a little bit of something about me, not that you care, but I care. Um, Dan often preaches, well, actually, this whole sermon series is a topical sermon series, right? And Dan gravitates toward topical sermons, and he does a fabulous job. I have learned so much listening to him and being under his tutelage. It, it has benefited me greatly. But it is not where my heart gravitates. And so it's always very difficult for me to teach topically. Um, and I'll try to help you to figure out what I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, what I prefer to do is, when I'm going to preach, 
to take where I'm already at in Scripture, where the Lord has led me, and then to figure out what it is in that passage of Scripture that the Lord has to say to me. And then once I get there, to then reach out and share that with others. Because that's what I like to do. Um, some people call that expository preaching. I don't know that I'm really qualified to call that anything I do expository. But I do take that view. And this is the reason for me. And, and this has been true <clears throat> really all of my life since I came to Christ at age nine. It's like a great treasure hunt. And, and it always feels that, like that to me. There's this, um, it's like there's this huge treasure, and it's all found in a single location. But throughout the entire expanse of God's Word is where that location is. And the treasure I'm looking for when I go hunting is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those are the treasures that I'm looking for. I want to learn more about him. And the map, if you will, for that treasure hunt is the Word of God. And, but when I go to the Word, oftentimes my glasses or my eyes don't focus very good. Or my glasses are smudged. Um, or the light that's available to me is dim, not bright enough for these old eyes anyway. And the information in the map oftentimes confuses so, what do I do? I squint. And I attempt to focus. And what I pray is, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. That's the first thing I do. The second thing is, I, I say, Lord, I, I need my glasses clean. If I'm going to see what you have for me, you're going to have to take away my blindness because I can't see it on my own. And then I say, and I ask for the Lord to take away my blindness. And then I plead for light, the light of the world, Christ himself, to come and illuminate his word so that with eyes that have the blinders removed and eyes that have been fixed instead of squinted upon his word, I might then see the truth. And the last thing I do is that I believe. Now, that seems rather simple, I suppose, but I believe when I'm in God's Word that He wants me to discover Him. I believe that with all of my heart. And I have the assurance of that because I now have 66 years behind me. And in those 66 years, God has not one single time failed to reveal himself. Now, that doesn't mean I've failed to see him, because I have. Because even praying to take these blinders off, I seem to hold tightly to them. And sometimes I wear them when I shouldn't. But God has never failed. He wants us to find the treasure that is him. It's him that's the treasure. It's not my well-being. It's not my 
feeling good about myself. It's who God is. And as a benefit of that treasure, I get to feel those things. I get to experience the joy of life, even when it isn't happy. I get to participate in the cause of Christ, even when I don't really want to, because of the beauty that Christ gives. In the darkest moment, his beauty shows forth, and I can see him. So with that, for an introduction, one last thing. So I was feeling really nervous and anxious about this morning because I knew I needed to preach topically. Dan gave me that order when he left. He said, no more your, your own sermon. You, you preach the catechism that we're on. I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. And on Monday, we had an elders meeting, and I, I asked the elders, or I confessed to the elders, I was really struggling um, with finding my way through how to communicate these truths. And the elders did something wonderful. They stopped what they were doing, which is getting ready to go home, and prayed for me. Then on Tuesday morning, I'm in my study, and I'm reading through Romans. That's my normal read for, that, for this time. I'm reading through Romans. And all of a sudden, God stopped me in my tracks at Romans 5. And I want to share with you a minutia of what I got from that passage that morning. I couldn't write fast enough. I kept trying. I don't know if you've ever experienced a found treasure. But I found the treasure that I'm on. And yeah, I'm a little emotional about it, but I'm always emotional. You guys know that by now. So before I go further, I do want to pray. All right? So bow with me. Heavenly Father, your word says that you will instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go, that you will guide us with your eye upon us. Lord God, please do not fail that promise. This morning, these people need to hear from you, not from me. These brothers and sisters in Christ are gathered here to hear from you. And that, Lord God, is the desire of my heart. I pray that you will clear up our eyes and take away our blindness and pour the light of Christ upon your word as we read it together. I pray, Lord God, that you will help us to believe your word. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm, <clears throat> I am sorry, but I'm going to have to do a little bit of water drinking this morning. I'm kind of dry. I don't know why. All right. So, now that you're at Romans 5, I need to confess, don't I? Yeah. Whoa, I wasn't expecting that to happen. I know my Bible's a bit heavy. All right, so I'm going to read chapter 5 for you, all right? It begins, therefore, all right, one of the principles that I learned as a young guy from a godly woman was whenever you see the word therefore, find out what it's there for. 
So please back up just a little bit to the 20th verse of chapter 4. And Paul is telling us about Abraham, who was fatherless, not fatherless, but wanted to be a father but wasn't, and to Sarah, who was barren. He's talking about the fact that Abraham held on to the promise that God gave him, even though now, at this point that Paul is talking about, he's as good as dead physically. And Sarah has been barren for years. So that's where we pick up. And this is what he says about Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, I ought to preach that sentence and nothing else. You need to go back today, tomorrow, and you need to look at that verse and you need to think it through. Truly, I don't have time to do it this morning because Dan made me do something else. But um, <laughs> He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. I actually <laughs> quoted a verse from another section. <laughs> and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit he has given to us. For while we were still weak, at that time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God, shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. I only wish I had time to flesh that out for you. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for judgment following one transgression or one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now I want to take a pause in Romans 5 verse 1 and I want to look at a phrase that Paul uses because this passage exploded for me based on this phrase. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the Western mind, we normally think of that just as a name, like Joseph Paul Morgan. But that is not true of the words that Paul has chosen here. He's not just saying this is a moniker by which we will know Jesus. He is saying some very critical truth right here. The word Lord is where we begin. The Lord, our Lord. Now that is, in the Greek, the word kyrios. In the Hebrew, it is Adonai or Yahweh. It is the high, holy name of God. Nobody wears that moniker but God. And no human being is even allowed to pronounce it as far as the Hebrew tradition was concerned. So holy is that name that the lips of men should never speak it. And in fact, in the Hebrew, you really can't pronounce it um, because they never add any vowels to it. It's four consonants and you just simply cannot say them. Um, so it is designed 
to make a point. And the point is that God is holy and separate and Lord and God. He is above all. He is separate from all. And Christ Jesus is that God. That's why Paul uses this phrase there. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the second part of it is the word Jesus. Now, Jesus is a really common name. Um, it, it has no special holiness to it. It is a name that the Jews and, in fact, across the world, many people have used this name um, for their sons and daughters throughout time. It is a very popular name, particularly in Palestine at the time Christ was in Palestine. So there was nothing unusual about it. It was very common. It was not extraordinary. So why is Paul juxtaposing that name against Lord? Because he wants to make it clear that God, Christ, is both God and man. It is together. It is not a name. It is two. And it is put together for the purpose that we understand that Jesus Christ is both God and man. Three words is all it took. <laughs> and I'm going to go at this for quite a bit longer. Um, because I want to. Um, the, the final word is the word Christ. And this is the Hebrew word Hamashiach, the Messiah, or the Anointed One. In Greek, it is Christos. Uh, it means the same thing, Anointed One. But anointed for what? For sacrifice. That's the anointing that is included. So we have not only the high holy name of God, we have the humanity name of, of Jesus Christ, and we have his designation. All in three words. That may not overwhelm you, but it does me. Paul is right here declaring God and man anointed for sacrifice. With these truths in mind, let's work our, work our way through the answers to the question, why must our Redeemer be fully God? I have three points. The first one, if you look at verse 6, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Picture, uh, scripture paints a picture for us of this concept, this idea of sin, and often it uses the weight, the weight of our sin. The sin is a weighty thing. It has substance, if you will. Um, and it often indicates and helps us to see that it's without measure, our sin. That it, and those words mean it, it, it's just beyond comprehension how much sin there is. Um, last, I think it was last week, Daryl and I were talking, and he came in feeling pretty good. Uh, he had just, I think, left Tom's. They'd been weightlifting, and, and Daryl said that he uh, actually was able to press 200 pounds. And I thought, wow, that's impressive. 
And then I remembered, and I said, uh, well, yeah, sort of. And so I think of Josh Howard. Josh Howard lifts 200 with each arm. So 200 push doesn't seem all that much in light of 400 pounds lifted. And sorry, I burst this bubble. Um, but here's the truth. Even Josh Howard's ability, hi Josh, even Josh Howard's ability to lift 400 pounds isn't sufficient strength to deal with even his own strength, let alone yours and mine. We need someone who has the ability to lift a weight that is infinite. And the only one that can do that is Christ. So that's one reason why Jesus Christ has to be both human and God. He has to be God because only God has the power to lift the load of our sin. No one else does. And then look at verse 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So one reason is nobody else would do it for us. Because when you think about this, it says, maybe somebody might be willing to die for a good person. Now, think that through. Good person. Is there such a beast upon this planet? No. Has there ever been that sort of beast upon this planet? No. Only Christ. Only Christ. No other man. Nobody else would venture to die for you, let alone take the weight of your sin with them to the grave. That is phenomenal and infinite love. That takes a command of one's being more than any of us could muster. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is sweating drops of blood and he is wavering. He is wavering under the knowledge that he is about to take on not only my sin, which was enough to break the back of anybody, but yours. And not only yours, but the sin of every human being that ever lived, ever was, or ever will be. And yet he had the resolve in the midst of that to say, not my will but thine be done, knowing full well what that meant, knowing the full weight of what he was about to suffer. So why do we need God fully in order to be redeemed? Because only he can bear that kind of weight. And there is a third reason that I see from this passage, that the Redeemer of humanity has to be fully God. That in order for you to 
get my thinking on this, I need to uh, give you a little bit of, an, uh, of my banker background. Uh, I was a banker for 40 years. That's all you need to know. But in banking, we keep ledgers. And a ledger has two columns. One is what's owed, and one is what has been paid. We keep a variety of other ledgers, but this is the one I'm focusing in on this morning. What is owed, and what has been paid. The ledgers are said to be reconciled when both of them equal the same number. So that you use the mathematical equation, debits minus credits equals zero. Then we know we're reconciled. We haven't missed anything. Everything's taken care of. It's all in balance. Well, there are two columns also in God's ledger. The first column are the demands of God's holy, perfect, and righteous law. The debt we owe. That's in the left-hand column. In the right-hand column, where you would normally find payment, it's blank. And it is a list of our desperate bankruptcy. It is a beautiful illustration of our desperate bankruptcy. We cannot balance that ledger. There isn't a way. God's laws demand we have failed to keep even the smallest of them. And on the payment side, there is no payment. There is no payment. It is blank. So there's no way that ledger can be zeroed out. There's no way it can be reconciled. But look at verse... Uh, whoa, there it goes again. Look at verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, jump down to verse 16. And the free gift get that? The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many transgressions brought justification. Reconciliation. We also use the term justified in banking. The ledger has been justified. The accounting is done. So all that weight, all that weight that we could not lift, all that broken part of God's law on this side of the ledger, satisfied, despite the fact that we are bankrupt, because someone gave a gift 
sufficient to pay that debt. And the cost of that gift was the Son of God sacrificed for you and me. His blood shed for our sins. Infinite worth paid an infinite cost for our infinite debt. You all ought to be on your faces. I should be on mine. Before a holy God who is willing to do that for not people who loved him, but people who hated him. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. I am overwhelmed by that truth. So we have that the reason that Christ had to be human fully was because he needed to be able to identify with us and to understand our weaknesses and to be tempted in all points just like we are so that he could be an effective high priest. But he had to be God because no one else would or could pay that. It's that simple. We sometimes think it's a very deep theological, and it is, but it's also a simple truth. He alone can carry the weight of our sin. He alone can carry the weight of our sin and die for us, pay the price. And he alone has the resources to make that payment. Only Christ. He alone, fully God, fully man. In thinking about these things this morning, um, as I'm going over my notes one more time and trying to make sure I'm clear, a hymn kept coming to mind. And, um, I had Mary pull it up on the phone as we drove in. And what wondrous theocracy. And these are the words of the first, law, of the first chorus. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. For my soul. And believe me, brothers and sisters, if he is willing to do that for my soul, he is willing to do that for your soul. I don't care how bankrupt your ledger is. There is no sin that surprises there is no sin outside of His grace. There is no sin so huge, so grotesque, that Christ is not willing and able to cover. And not only to cover, but to forgive that debt. Let's pray. Father, when I when I approach your word before people, I all the time I'm thinking, God, that you should have said that better. You should have thought of that one more 
some depth. You should have. But you know what, Lord? I've done the best I know. And so I'm going to rest in that, and I'm not going to let Satan accuse me. Because he is the accuser of the brethren. And what has been spoken this morning is your word. Your word is truth. And it overcomes all the lies that we think and believe. How foolish we are. How foolish we are. To think that we can think thoughts greater than yours. God, I pray that in my own life and my own heart, you would increase the hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, let nothing supplant you in my heart. And I pray that, Lord God, for everyone here, those who know you and those who don't. Call those who don't know you to yourself because only you can accomplish that. And bring all of us who call upon the name of the Lord into the beauty of holiness, which is your presence. And I pray these things in that wonderful name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We invite you to stand. Let's sing. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and will, your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Let's sing that again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Amazing love. How 
amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Amen. And as we say, go in peace, it's to continue worship, not to end worship. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful.